0: Sonia created the Love the Word Bible Study Method just for you, based on Mary's personal practice and formulated for your personality and temperament. Get your Love the Word meditations every Monday morning by signing up at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia. If you like having Bible study in your pocket and you have an iPhone or iPad, why not leave a review? search Bible study evangelista in iTunes and tell everyone how you're loving and lifting all you've been given. Here's Sonia.
1: St. Therese of Lisieux and we're going to kind of circle back to her today. But we also have been looking at Matthew 18 where Jesus says that we must be converted and become like little children or else we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And I believe that what Jesus means there ultimately is that we learn to give up this burden that we have sometimes of self-reliance, particularly in the spiritual life, we're not giving up the effort to change, but we're giving up the self-reliance. We're trusting in God, in the practical things, which in the beginning of the Christian life, we that's the very first thing we learn. And I wrote a whole book on that, Just Rest, where God places us in the desert and he allows deprivations in the most practical areas, food, water, bills, money, entertainment, leadership, all of those sorts of practical, everyday living matters, the very first thing we begin to learn in the spiritual life is to trust God for those things. And we get good at that. If we follow him long enough, we get really good at that. We learn how to trust him with that childlike sort of faith. But then in the spiritual life, it's somehow, I don't know why we do this. I guess it's just part of concupiscence and humanity, but we hang on so tightly to this idea of healing and working through pop quizzes and all of that stuff to the point where we believe that it all depends on us. And so later on in life, there comes a time, or we hope so, it should, this is how it should happen, that at some point in our spiritual lives, there comes a time where no amount of self-control and force will help us any longer. We've done everything that we can do, spiritually speaking, psychologically speaking, working through the pop quizzes. And maybe they've even gotten to the point where they're not so full of emotion. They don't trigger the physical symptoms. And yet we discover that we still hold certain judgments. And we don't know that. We don't know that until they are provoked, usually by our spouse if we're married, but definitely by the people that we're living in community with. And Saint Therese experienced this. Actually, the whole community that Therese was a part of experienced this. There was a particular nun that no one wanted to work with. She was difficult. She was probably severely mentally ill. And so it made her it made her harsh and abrasive and just hard to work with. And nobody wanted to work with her. And little Therese. Now this was at the end of her life. This was the year before she died. She had already developed tuberculosis. So she was already sick. And in the convent, she decided to work with this particular nun in the linen room. And she made this, this nun and her, her work with her a matter of charity. And she treated this other nun a lot like a child. She understood that she was really not even capable of much more. She says that this year, God has given me the grace to understand what charity is. I understood it before, but in an imperfect way. Ah, I understand now that charity consists in bearing with the faults of others, in not being surprised at their weakness, in being edified by the smallest acts of virtue we see them practice. And... It was she she even said in her writing that she understood how very little this particular nun was capable of because of her deep, deep woundedness. And so she continued to encourage this sister. Sister Marie was her name. And she worked with her every day and even pointed out those very small ways in which she was advancing in virtue, and I really think that this particular time in Saint Teresa's life was a very reflective contemplative time in which she reflected on her own wounds and her her difficulty perhaps in loving God the way she wanted to because of those wounds. And this meditation on being so childlike, she said, you make me think of a little child that is learning to stand, but does not know yet how to walk. In his desire to reach the top of the stairs to find his mother, he lifts his little foot to climb the first step. It is all in vain. And at each renewed effort, he falls. Well, be like that little child. Always keep lifting your foot to climb the ladder of holiness and do not imagine that you can mount even the first step. All God asks of you is goodwill. From the top of the ladder, He looks lovingly upon you, and soon, touched by your fruitless efforts, He will Himself come down and, taking you in His arms, will carry you to His kingdom, never again to leave Him. But should you cease to raise your foot, you will be left for long on the earth. And she also said, This is part of the point at which she developed this idea of the the elevator. She said, we live in an age of inventions. We need no longer climb laborious, laboriously up flights of stairs in well-to-do houses. There are lifts. And I was determined to find a lift to carry me to Jesus for I was far too small to climb the steep stairs of perfection. So I searched then in the scriptures for some idea of what this life I wanted would be. And I read these words, whosoever is a little one come to me. It is your arms, Jesus, that are the lift to carry me to heaven. And so there is no need for me to grow up. I must stay little and become less and less. So it is my belief, and this is a Soniaism. it's not anything that the church has said about little Therese, but I believe that in reflecting on her very deep and very old woundedness, and remember from the first show, it's thought that there was a separation anxiety, a separation. Well, anxiety is the uh, the best word. She was she was plagued with a very deep, very old anxiety that that was born of a mother wound. The separation that she experienced from her mother when nursing and then when her mother died and then her sister Pauline went to the convent. She had all of these female separations, a very deep mother wound. And so in thinking of how spoiled and small she was and trying to discern how best for her, for her to try to live out this pursuit of holiness, she did a lot of contemplation and meditation on what it means to be small. And in that meditation and contemplation, she came to this realization that all she really needed to do was love. And that love was everything. And so she developed this idea of the little way of childhood that consisted in performing these little virtues. And so rather than the big things, which she knew because she was a cloistered nun, she'd never be able to do. She couldn't be a missionary. She couldn't be a priest. She couldn't do any of the bigger things. She she recognized she wasn't even capable. And so that was the context of her formulation of this absolutely beautiful and maybe the most important contribution that any saint has ever made to this point in and for the church is this, idea of childhood. Why do I say that? Because Jesus said it. <laughs> unless you become like a little child, unless you are converted and become like a little child. He said you must turn back. He said these are the greatest of the kingdom in heaven. He's the one who said it. And so we can take we can take confidence in following this way in knowing and realizing at some point in our lives that this this there are things within us that prevent us from living this life of holiness that we really want to. And and like I said last week and again earlier in this segment, there comes a point in our Christian lives that God allows circumstances, pop quizzes we might say, that show us very clearly that no, it's not been weeded out. And we, if we follow him, We discover that the root is far deeper and far older than we imagined to begin with. And all of our muscling and trying to to develop self-control and even using our self-control, it no longer works. And we are left completely baffled and maybe even in despair and discouraged and we may give up. And I don't want you to give up. And I'm going to show you and explain why when we get back. But one of the most comforting things that we should take away from little Therese is that our mess-ups and this awareness is actually the context, the environment, we'll say, of our continued healing. You are listening to the Sacred Healing 1230 Podcast, because love heals. Aren't you tired of all the ugliness on social media? You need a faith community that nurtures you and helps you heal. Visit Evangelista.com and click Community on the menu, or scroll down to the radio notes and click the link to the Sacred Healing 1230 Community. You'll find monthly coaching calls for one-on-one consultation and masterclass participants, live healing prayer streams, a monthly Bible study, prayer intentions and intercessions, love the word takeaways from the daily readings, and poignant shares of our victories and struggles. We're waiting for you.
0: Are you coming? Did you know you can get Bible study evangelista radio notes and podcasts delivered to your inbox every Monday morning? Redeem your Mondays Join thousands of your fellow listeners By subscribing at BibleStudyEvangelista.com Now, here's Sonia
1: right, I know you're saying I have no idea what you're talking about, Sonia So I'm going to give you an example from several years ago, and I'm going to change some of the pertinent details and try to give you a real-life example so that you can see what I mean. So I did a consult with a woman years ago. She and her husband had been married many years. They both had had successful careers. She was an attorney. They were both attorneys, actually. And both of them were professionally accomplished, and they were financially well-off. In the early years of their marriage, the wife had an issue with shopping and spending. Now she made her own money and she pretty much felt like, you know, she was entitled to spend it however she wanted, and she did. And she and her husband got into uh, like hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt because of her shopping. Now again, this was early on in their marriage and she had hid this from him for some time. And she came to me, And it was, she was telling me the background of their life together as the context for needing help presently. And she said that she could not hide it any longer. And he discovered it and confronted her and almost divorced her. And it was such a huge debt. And she was so ashamed and so humiliated. And she couldn't even believe that she had done this, right? So somehow in that time... She came to understand the importance of order, the order of authority in a marriage. And so she began to really work on submission to his authority as her husband, as her partner, but also her husband. And she really worked on paying off that debt. Together they paid off the debt. And of course, you know, I'm skipping over a whole lot of the the extreme emotional difficulty that her betrayal caused her husband and also herself. And then of course, there's the financial burden. So they worked on that and she got her spending under control. She recognized it as a a spiritual problem and she began working on it. And she and her husband, they paid off the debt and she felt like everything was fine. Well, it turns out her husband had a, a real issue with control. Control and And he was very, very critical. He was a good man, but his issues with control and criticism caused her, because of her woundedness, to secretly do things that she wanted to do and then hide them from him. And that, of course, was the root of the the issue. It wasn't, for the husband, it wasn't even the money, although that was a huge issue. It was the betrayal and the sneakiness and the deceit. And because she had worked so hard on it, previously and they had paid off the debt, she felt that it was pretty much conquered. Well, she came to me and she said, I I cannot believe that I'm doing this again. She told me all about how the two of them had confronted his issues with control and criticism and her issues with spending and hiding it. And they had worked on this for so long. And yet she found herself buying things and hiding it. And she was so upset at herself and she had it wasn't a big deal actually she hadn't really spent that much money but she had she had begun hiding things from him and it was baffling to her she she couldn't figure out why and so we really got to looking at this idea of projections because as i was doing all the intake information in the very first part of all of my consults i have several pages of questions that i ask that help me and and the consultee to find the common thread the common wound, the common ribbon in all of the areas of a person's life so that we can narrow down the the main wound for that person. And her main wound was a wound of badness. She was bad. And of course she had gotten that from her upbringing and her badness wound when it was triggered, she would buy things and hide it from her husband. He, on the other hand, according to her, I, I didn't have a consult with him, but it seemed to me that his wound was a mother wound. And he had been severely neglected in growing up and felt that no, no one really loved him. Nobody cared about him. Nobody took care of him. He was always the one taking care of everybody else. And he was super judgmental and condemning and critical but had learned through his wife and their financial debt, that hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, he had learned to just not say anything anymore. And he hid a lot of that judgment, but it started to kind of surface a little again, especially when she came to me because I advised her to tell him, what she had done. It wasn't, it wasn't a a big amount of money or anything like that. It wasn't a, even a lot of stuff that she bought, but she was hiding it from him. And it was clear that the Holy Spirit was trying to lead her more deeply into communion. Remember that from last week's show that that's the point. And the Pharisee sort of stepped in and was full of condemnation for her. She, she was condemning herself. She was despairing. She was depressed and when she told her husband what she had done, he was really, really hurt and had sort of withdrawn from her emotionally. And so her sin, which she had gone to him and confessed, her sin felt to him like another betrayal after all of these years. And he, because of his personality and his woundedness, he just couldn't get past it. And so they were having this sort of stalemate in their relationship and she was completely baffled as to why she was doing this again. And so she had confessed it and we started really working to to dig around in that wound and what we discovered is that over the years of their marriage she had muscled her way through this self-control which was all good because she did have for years she had control of this tendency to do things and hide them. And so it was very disturbing to her that she would be doing this again, even in a small way, because it hurt her husband so deeply, but also because she had done so well for so long and couldn't figure out why she had fallen back into that sort of habit. And as we explored the pharisaical idea, what we discovered was that all of the judgments that she had previously held for her father and her upbringing, they were actually true of her in a in a different way, in a smaller way. But she had always attributed her problems and her difficulties and her faults and her behaviors to her relationship with her father because she did have a father wound. And she had always sort of not blamed him so much because she understood the self-control part, right? And the fact that she was responsible for her own behavior, which is why she had had such good control over it for so long. But at some point, she fell back into into a, a type of behavior that was familiar from the past and couldn't figure out why. And it turns out that the whole of her life, she had sort of attributed all of her her difficulties personality wise and character wise and behavior wise to this relationship with her father and indeed that was the case right but but god knew that it was time to to heal her more deeply and as we sort of explored these judgments that she had, because one of the things that sort of cropped up as we spoke in the consult was she still had a, a lot. She wasn't angry at her relationship with her parents and she she wasn't really terribly condemning, but she was still making it about them. And when I recognized the projection and I I mentioned it, she I mean, the the change that came over her was so startling. It was almost miraculous. She sort of did that, I I I I. You know, like on the old cartoons when someone falls into um, a ditch or a a mud puddle or something like that. You know, and they like the the prodigal son who who sort of woke up. We'll say I could just see this inner sort of emotional, psychological shaking that she was doing on the inside of herself, coming to this realization that the entire time she had been projecting this view and attitude onto her father, and early on in her marriage, on her husband as being judgmental and critical, what she discovered is that she herself had a, she had a sneaky side, and her father, that relationship, that personality, darkness, we'll say, was actually part of her personality. And she had been projecting it on her father her whole life, and then later on her husband. But it was actually true about her at the very deepest level. And that realization really depressed her because she recognized that it was so deep, and it was so old that it was part of who she is. It was a darkness and a part of her personality that was part of who she was because it had been formed in her from her earliest days by her relationship with her father and also with her mother and she became depressed because then she realized this will never be removed from me. This will always be a part of me. And and she was scared to death because what she confronted was the snake in her garden. You are listening to the Sacred Healing 1230 Podcast, because love heals. Losing it more often or lost yourself entirely? Binging on food, alcohol, or your phone? Feeling exhausted, anxious, angry, scared? You've done all the novenas, all the consecrations, adoration, daily mass, Bible study, therapy, and deliverance prayers. Why has none of it given you permanent relief? Does God not care? He does care, but you can't feel it because you need to be cherished. You need to be healed. In Sacred Healing 1230, I teach you how to live authentically from the holistic love of God in the power of Mark 1230, heart, soul, mind, and strength. I teach you how to be cherished. I teach you how to guard your peace. I teach you how to love authentically teach you how to heal deeply. I teach you how to feel better because you can only love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength if they are healing and whole in Him. The love you were made for is only a mouse click away. Go to BibleStudyEvangelista.com to stop the emotional vomit and start experiencing the miracle of living authentically from the healing love of God in your heart, soul, mind, and body. Had been there all along and she just hadn't seen it. She had been projecting it first onto her husband and all of the other people that she had dealt with, bosses and, and things like that. And she had attributed it all of that time to her father wound. And of course, she didn't use those terms, but I'm using them because they're familiar to us. But she had attributed them all that time to her relationship with her father. And that was true. It was her relationship with her father that sort of provoked these sorts of behaviors and tendencies. But what she hadn't yet confronted and hadn't yet seen or become aware of is that the entire time she had been projecting all of these ugly personality characteristics and traits onto her father, she herself had many of them, some of them, not many, but some of them. And they were operational at this late point in her life because she hadn't seen it. And there's a psychological principle here where it takes a close relationship of the opposite sex to pull this kind of very deep personality projection to the surface. And that's why we may have been married for a long time, or we may have been in community for a long time. We may have like Therese been in community with other people for a long time and not ever seen this part of our, well, it's not that she didn't see this part of her personality. It's that she thought it was not her. (laughs) And the whole time it was. And we worked through this sort of despair and depression, and because she was, you know, so determined to follow God, and and she loved him so much, and she loved her husband so much, and her husband loved her, she had a safety, a place of safety to sort of work through all of this, and when she came to me, and we were talking about it, she pretty quickly came out of this sort of despair Especially when I I pointed out how normal it is that that this has to happen, psychologically this has to happen. We have to confront that snake. And we do it over and over and over and over again in our lives. But there's a, a particular confrontation that we have to come to, which is a part of our personality that that we always attributed usually to a parent that is actually us. It's actually us and And of course, yes, they had part in forming it in us, but because that's true, we had laid it on them when the whole time it was actually part of who we are. And so the Garden of Eden, again, shows us that what is necessary is that we become aware of the snake in the garden with us and not be distracted. Now, again, I I said this last week, but we have to allow God to bring these sorts of projections to light over time. We can't rush this. This is not something she could have done in even 10 years ago. She wasn't able at that point. She hadn't done the the kinds of work and healing that she needed to do until this point. And it wasn't until she got to this point of progress and healing that God sort of allowed this projection to come to light. And it was shocking. Her behavior is is sort of what precipitated it. Her behavior was shocking. She had betrayed her husband again. She had told him and he, he was super betrayed. And what was interesting was he had a mother wound that she was drawing to the forefront. And of course, you can see then how marriage is meant to remove those projections for us. And and we spend all this time blaming one another when if we could step back and quit looking at the apple and get real with God and ask him about that snake in the garden with us when our behavior pops up. Where does this come from and whom am I judging? Is it me? Is it them? And and beyond the husband or the wife, what about parents? Those sorts of projections are they're so deeply ingrained in us, and they're they really are parts of our personalities. And they're so old and so deep, they come from the earliest points of childhood, and they are formed within us, of course, by our authority figures. That's not an excuse, and I'm not saying that we're blaming, I'm just I'm just acknowledging the truth of it. And here is where we have to give up the effort, not the effort to change, but the self-reliance of change. There comes a point where you realize, oh, okay, this is actually part of my personality. I'm not going to be able to rip this out. I am going to have to allow our lady who has been given the mission and the power and the duty to crush the head of Satan. I'm going to have to allow her to show me how to do that because He's in the garden. He's not going anywhere. And so what do I do? Well, what we do is, first of all, acknowledge the snake, become aware of it. And there's no getting rid of it because it's part of who we are. And so instead, we must learn to put our heel on the head of that snake. And it's not anymore a matter of self-control. It's a matter of... I mean, it is a matter of self-control, but, and it, and the self-control actually becomes easier because we understand now for the first time, finally, where it actually comes from. It comes from a projection that is, that is actually me. (laughs) The issue with this woman was not that she was shopping. She didn't spend a whole lot of money. The issue with her was that she was she was hiding it. She was sneaking. And so she, that was the thing that was bothering her. That was the thing that was bothering the husband. It wasn't so much a matter of having gone overboard. It was a matter of falling back into this sort of pit of deception and hiding. And it felt very childish to her. And it was, it was an old, old, old habit, a coping mechanism that she had developed under this sort of um, tyranny of her parents, that she would be denied something and then have to kind of go back and, and because she wanted it, and she felt constrained, she would then do the thing and then hide it. And so it it became this you know, practice as early as she could remember. And she had had a lot of control over it in the early days of her relationship with God. And then later on, it sort of cropped up again in a way that was shocking. You know, how can I have been following God for so long and and I'm dealing with this again? And it turns out that it was actually a projection, this projection that she had really cherished her whole life and it sort of defined her, was all along true of her. So when we're talking about turning back to the inner child, when we're talking about becoming like little children, we have to come to a point where we realize that I'm never going to be able to remove this from myself. That's what we want to do. We want to put it away from us. But God allows circumstances that provoke a shocking behavior in us and hopefully so that we can step, take a step back and, and wonder what the heck is this and why am I doing it so that we understand that we're all of this self-sufficiency that we've sort of developed in our relationship with him it is a facade. It is, it is itself an illusion. We don't have self-control. We cannot be self-sufficient. We must always trust in him. And so we find ourselves in these situations that are baffling. Our own behavior is baffling. We don't know where it's coming from. He will show us, right? That's our lady's role because it's, it's her power and mission and, a, and duty to crush the head of Satan. And she brings us to that knowledge if we'll go to her and ask her. But we have to keep in mind that we just follow God and do his will and stop trying to muscle our way through the spiritual life, because there are parts of us that are not going to be able to be removed. That's my whole point. And I hope I'm making it. I feel like I I worry that I'm not. But that's my whole point. And Therese came to that understanding. And I believe she actually came to that understanding in working with Sister Marie in that linen room, in part, because Sister Marie was so difficult. And she was a, a woman And she volunteered to work with her. And she understood through Sister Marie's deep, deep woundedness, she understood something about her own woundedness. And that is so important for us in our relationships. We are so busy projecting all of these judgments onto other people. We cannot experience them and allow the Holy Spirit to show us ourselves through them. Other people are our mirrors. St. John of the Cross he was the first, I mean, I don't think he was the first to say it, but he was the first to teach me personally that our pop quizzes and the people through whom they come, they are tailor-made, is what our Magnificat meditation said. They're, they are Our suffering is not arbitrary. It is individual. It is strategic for us because we need those people to start pulling up those behaviors and pulling up those Those judgments and those lies and those physical symptoms and those memories and those emotions, all that stuff that we work through in pop quizzes, we need those people to help us see that stuff. So stop being upset at them and this is true individually and it's also true collectively which i don't want to get into today because that's too big of an idea and i want to I, i'm using this last episode here to wrap up the whole series john of the cross is one of the first who who taught me not to look at the people always as jesus taught us in matthew 7 always look for those judgments the the beam in your eye keeps you from seeing Clearly, and as that old adage says, when you point one finger, you have four pointing back at you. You are listening to the Sacred Healing 1230 podcast because love heals.
0: If you love having Bible study in your pocket, you can become a friend of the show. Click on the yellow friend of the show button on BibleStudyEvangelista.com and become a supporter of any amount and any frequency. Now, here's Sonia. Now,
1: this woman's shopping and her deceit had created a really ugly rift in her her husband's woundedness was such that he had a hard time forgiving her, and he was he was holding it against her. And she understood why that was, and she even understood she didn't take it personally, although it was very difficult. But ultimately, when we talked through the psychological aspects and the normalcy of it and the necessity of it, even when we talk through that, it gave her the confidence that God had led her to that place. And like Therese, her mess up was actually the context of her own healing and and helped even heal her husband because she was actually able to share with him sort of what she had learned. And it, it opened his eyes to a few things and it brought them later. Now, this took some time. This did not happen in even four weeks over the, the whole consult. It took time, and we met many times afterward. But they were able to come to a deeper, stronger relationship with one another, a deeper, stronger acceptance of one another, a deeper, stronger communion with one another and with God because both of them were working this hard. And, you know, we hurt one another, and people hurt us. But if we can just trust God and stop with the self-sufficiency and stop trying to fix ourselves and trying to fix them and just trust God will lead us to everything we need for that deeper self-knowledge, for that deeper charity, and that deeper communion, both with those we are relating to and with Him and with ourselves. And so I think that above all, that is the main message of St. Therese, is a a radical acceptance of our woundedness, our childlikeness, our deficits, our faults, our personality issues, (laughs) and a simple acceptance of ourselves. And Jesus teaches that in Matthew 18. Yes, we have to put away the sin. Yes, we need to go back and, and explore the lost sheep and find out where in our lives, at what stages have we done things that we have disowned parts of ourselves? And where can we have more radical acceptance, not for bad behavior, because we don't want our, our character faults and our behavior flaws and our habits, and our self-medication to rule us, because that in itself blocks this deeper healing that I'm talking about. We need to get rid of that stuff, which is why these penitential seasons of Lent and Advent are so important, and why we have to—we really do have to exercise our wills and our self-control to get rid of those behaviors in grace and through the Holy Spirit. But I want to encourage some of you, because I, I know that Some of you are in this sort of situation for yourself and maybe in a marriage or some other relationship where you can't figure out why in the world you're you're back at square one. But if you'll notice that happened with the children of Israel over and over again as well. They were rescued from Egypt. They journeyed through the desert for that purification. They entered the promised land and then they ended up in bondage again to the Assyrians and the Babylonians. So we can't be shocked. If it's going to happen to them, it's going to happen to us. And we're, we're, it's, we have to stop with all the ugly judging. You're a terrible person. You're a terrible Christian. You're not even right. Stop it. That pharisaical attitude is what's going to block all of the self-knowledge and the illumination that you need to see these kinds of deeper healings. Not that we're going to put, our own personality away from us, but that we're going to submit it to the light of Christ and submit it to God and especially submit it to our lady who is alone in Christ through grace. She has been given the power and the authority and the mission to crush the head of Satan. So our mess ups, our faults, our littleness is the context of our full healing And this is what I love about little Therese the most is that she, she didn't try to force herself to be something that she wasn't. You can't force yourself to have a personality that you don't have. You can't force your spouse to have a personality that they don't have because just like things were woven into you, things were woven into them at their earliest days. And so you can't judge them for who they are and you can't judge yourself for who you are this radical acceptance of the child in us is so necessary to our fuller healing and not not just the fuller healing right because we're we we do not want to be self-sufficient here we want to submit to everything that god sends and give him our little yes and on that line because this woman in the consult She was so concerned about her relationship with her husband and how much damage she had done. I advised her to do something that, that I actually ran across many years ago and I'm bringing it up now because this is a good way in which we can practice doing the little virtues or doing the little things and kind of keeping track of them. And it's, it's not because we're scrupulous or we are trying to be self-sufficient or anything like that. It's just to help us sort of like a reminder and so Sacrifice Beads, and I, I bought some for my Standing in the Word retreat many years ago because I had also gotten a couple from Viani Beads on Etsy. I believe her name is Elise, and I'll, I'll drop a link to those in the show notes, but there are 10 beads, and it was Teresa's sisters that made these for her so that she could offer little flowers or little things in a deliberate and a methodical way. And here's why we have to do this. Jesus told the parable of exercising the demon from the house, cleaning up the house, and then 10 more come in and make the house worse than they were than it was to begin with. What is the point there? The point is you can't just remove the bad thing. You have to also replace it with something good. You have to replace it with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You have to replace it with good visualizations. Philippians 4, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is noble. You got to put that stuff back in the house or else you all you've done is made room for more ugliness. So the the sacrifice beads they are distinctly Therese, Theresean, we could say, and they are a great way for us to pl- uh, replace the bad with the good little things, right? So that's a way that you can sort of keep track, and, and it was one of the recommendations that I, I made for this particular woman while she was waiting on the Holy Spirit and Our Lady to do the work they needed to do with her husband, because they had sort of become ostracized, and they there was just a, you know how that is, when, when one party has deeply hurt another, there's this withdrawal, a withdrawal of your love, and God really wants, and it is a mark of his children, that there is if possible, and it is always possible with people who are truly following God. And that's the the whole context of Matthew 18 is God's children. It's not talking about people out in the world because this is not going to work with them. They're not following God and they're not willing to do this kind of work. But when we are, reconciliation is always possible. And re- and relationship, not just the reconciliation, but also a deeper communion, a deeper love between the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Our mess-ups are the context of our healing, and we have to be able to distinguish what is part of someone's personality and what is actually right and wrong. What is part of my personality and what is actually right and wrong? It was wrong of her to be sneaky and to hide her shopping from her husband, but... It was also a deep part of her personality. So she had to crush the head of the snake in the behavior. No, I can't I can't behave like that. But the impulse to do so is so deep and so old in me. It's, it is an actual part of my personality. And when that happens, we can't rip it out. And God won't rip it out because it would destroy us. Instead, he shows us, he shines the light on it, and he shows it to us. So that we can present it to Our Lady, to Him and Our Lady, the snake. Yes, Lord, I see it. Yes, Lord, it's there. I can't rip it out because it's part of who I am, unfortunately. But I don't want it ruling me either. So help me to properly place it. This is, it it does lead to right and wrong behavior. It leads to wrong behavior, not even right behavior. But it leads to wrong behavior, and I don't want to do that. So if I accept this part of my personality without allowing it to rule, it loses its power. And that's exactly what happened to her. And over time, it was about a year, over time, she and her husband came to a much deeper communion, both with each other and with God. It's it's amazing what can be, what can happen, the kind of healing, the kind of communion, the kind of deep, deep love that we're all looking for. It follows this path, this path of the little way. And if we don't become like little children. Not only can we not be healed, but the people around us can't be healed and our relationships can't be healed. But either way, it's not up to us. We can't hang on with this self-sufficiency. We have to become like little children and trust that God is going to lift us up the steps of holiness. But we have to keep putting one foot in front of the other and we have to keep trying to put that foot on that step. If we stop at any point trying both for ourselves and the people that we love and who love us and with whom we commune, if we stop at any point. Everyone's growth suffers. Everyone's healing suffers. So keep on keeping on, friend. That's what Therese and her message is for us. Stay on the little path. Stay in the little way. Keep an eye on that child, the, the inner child, And always go to Jesus for that light and that illumination. St. Therese, pray for us in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Sacred Healing 1230 podcast. Find
0: out more at BibleStudyEvangelista.com because love heals.